Ahoy mateys! Welcome to Podcasts of the Caribbean, a podcast covering the world of Pirates of the Caribbean, from the movies, to books, to theme parks, to everything in between. My name is Justin Helmer, and I will be your host on this voyage through the Caribbean. Welcome back to Podcast of the Caribbean. This is our second episode, and in this episode, we'll still be covering the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, which is The Curse of the Black Pearl. So I hope you listened to the first episode. If you haven't, go back and listen to that one first, um, because this one we are delving further into the plot of the movie. Uh, if you want to see the first part, go, see the, go uh, listen to the first episode. So let's get back right where we left off. Um, right before the Black Pearl enters Port Royal's harbor. So I forgot to mention last time we had a quick scene of Jack Sparrow um, in jail. He's now been thrown in jail because he's been captured, and we have another theme park ride reference here. So we have the dog with the keys and then the pirates in the jail cell um, trying to uh, lure the dog over with a bone, and this is of course a Easter egg to the original theme park ride, where this is one of, if not the most iconic scene in the ride. Um, it's toward the end, um, at, at least toward the end, at least in the Disneyland and the Walt Disney World versions. In the Disneyland Paris version, it's at the beginning, but it's it's in every single version of Pirates of the Caribbean, and it's honestly the most iconic scene from the ride. So it's awesome that it's represented here. And then of course we have the prison dog, who for some reason, is actually a recurring character in this franchise. But we'll get to that when we find him later on in the next movie. So Jack, of course, tells these pirates, you know, you can keep doing that forever, but the dog is never going to move. And then the pirates, of course, are like, oh, excuse us if we haven't resorted ourselves to the gallows just yet. So... Jack, of course, he smiles. He's like, I'm not going to be in here for long. He's already drafting up his next escape. But, of course, something will change that'll completely throw his escape plans to the wall. The Black Pearl now enters Port Royal's Harbor in the dead of night. I love this shot of um, Port Royal sitting at night and then the Black Pearl kind of moves into the camera with the ominous music. I love that shot so much. It, like... It really gets you going because you know something's gonna, something big is gonna happen, and it's so awesome. But we have a nice, quick little scene here um, of Will in the blacksmith shop. He's still working hard, even at night. Um, but then he senses something and he goes out and looks out the window, and it's dead quiet. You know, even Will knows something's not right. And then we go right up to Fort Charles, where we have uh, Governor Swan and Commodore Norrington. And they're having a quick little chat um, about Elizabeth and everything. And Governor Swan hears something off in the distance. And he's like, what's that? And then Narrington screams, cannon fire! And then he throws the governor down. And the Black Pearl is now attacking Port Royal. So we're now officially introduced to the Black Pearl and its pirate crew. Um, so they're making their way to shore in the longboats. And as they get out, we see a bunch of these pirates. They all look scary. They look frightening. Um, that's really kind of what Gore Verbinski, the director, wanted to do with this movie. Um, he said in a bunch of interviews, and you can see this in uh, books and everything, that he didn't want these pirates to, you know, be wearing striped shirts and trick-or-treat belts and kind of, you know, hooks for hands and peg legs. and Because that stuff is very stereotypical when you think of a pirate you think of you know someone with a striped shirt with a hook for a hand you know eye patch stuff like that but you know he says that you know these people didn't live long and they were essentially rotting human beings so i like how in this when we see these pirates for the first time you really get the sense that they are rotting corpses and in fact they are rotting corpses because they are cursed but um, you do get that effect because their clothes are ragged and they're dirty and the pirates themselves are dirty and they're falling apart, honestly. You can see even with Pintel and Rigetti, who we see for the first time in the scene, you can see that Pin that uh, Rigetti takes out his eye. 
So that's also something that is pretty unique here. Instead of the eye patch, um, they have his eye actually come out and go back in. So I like how these pirates are different than what kind of what Hollywood was seeing pirates as beforehand. Um, of course, this wasn't the first movie to do pirates like this, but it was cool to see this in relation to kind of the old pirate films that were really popular back in the day. So the pirates are now at Port Royal and they start ransacking the place. They're destroying buildings, they're killing people, and Will's like, I'm here to defend Port Royal. He grabs a sword, he grabs a hatchet, and he makes his way out of the blacksmith shop, and he, he sees a pirate immediately and throws his hatchet right into the back and takes him down. And this pirate he takes down is Jacoby, who is the pirate with the flaming beard, as I call him. So here's a quick thing about Jacoby. Jacoby was played by Vince Lozano, and his beard, obviously, if you can tell, is on fire in this movie. Um, I don't mean that that it's hot, it's actually on fire. <laughs> so what they did, if you look at the behind the scenes videos, you can see this, um, what they would do is they would, his beard was pretty much a giant armature um, that had wiring and everything, so it was a very heavy and uh, thick beard, but in that beard they would um, hold incense sticks, and before they would um, um, shoot the scene, they would light the incense sticks, and they would give the appearance of the smoking beard. Um, but of course, this wasn't the most safe thing. You know, sometimes the beard did go up in flames, and then of course, when Vince would do an action scene, um, the beard would maybe flip up in his face or graze people and kind of, you know, send sparks flying. So it wasn't the most safe thing, but it still is a really cool effect to see his beard kind of smoking. And I think it's really cool how even though it was a hard thing to do, they still did that. Um, and I wonder, I'm not sure if it was ever confirmed, but I wonder if they took inspiration from the actual pirate Blackbeard for this. One of the most famous uh, myths about Blackbeard was that his beard would be smoking and on fire. Um, so I wonder if they took that and kind of put it into Jacoby um, to have that kind of pirate connection there. But Will takes down Jacoby here, or he thinks he takes down Jacoby and he goes out to fight more of the pirates. So Elizabeth sees from her bedroom window that Port Royal is under siege by the Black Pearl, um, and she sees a bunch of pirates who have bust open the gate to the governor's mansion and are now running up to the door, and she tries as fast as possible to warn the uh, doorman that, don't open the door, don't open the door, but he opens the door, and he sees Pintel and all the pirates, and Pintel says, hello, chum, and blasts him down, and down falls the doorman, and the pirates rush in, and they see Elizabeth um, upstairs, and they Pinto and Rigetti go and run up after her. So Elizabeth then runs uh, through the hallway and locks herself in her room, where she sees her frightened maid Estrella, and Estrella says, "You know, the pirates they've come they've come here to kidnap you because you're the governor's daughter." Um, and Elizabeth realizes this, like, "Oh, that's why they're here." Um, but they're not actually here for that reason, but that is what Elizabeth believes in this moment. So Pintel and Rigetti are now at the door trying to bust it down, and Elizabeth um, tells Estrella, you know, she'll distract them, and as soon as you're clear, make your way to the fort. Um, you'll be safe there. So once Pintel and Rigetti get inside, um, Elizabeth then uses her bed warmer to... Um, hit Pintel right in the face, and then she opens it up and releases the hot coals onto Rigetti. Um, and she keeps making her way through the house. Um, Estrella then makes her escape in this scene, um, and she sees the dead uh, doorman and, and screams. Um, but Elizabeth runs down to the foyer. Uh, a stray cannonball comes in and just comes right through the wall, and one of the pirates comes out of one of the rooms with a lap full of treasure, and then the cannonball comes right into him, takes him down, shoots him right back where he went, so that's really funny. But it also takes down the chandelier, um, and Elizabeth uses this to make her escape into the 
uh, dining room, and then she tries to grab a sword off the wall, but she realizes it's stuck in a um, decoration. It's not an actual sword. It's a decorative piece. So she finds somewhere to hide um, before Pinto and Rigetti bust their way in. I forgot to mention before this, um, when the Black Pearl starts firing, Jack Sparrow, who's still in prison at this point, he says, I know those guns. And he looks up and he sees the Black Pearl. And then the pirates in the cell next to him, you know, they say, the Black Pearl, I've heard stories, you know. She's been preying on settlement, on ships and settlements for near 10 years, never leaves any survivors. And then Jack says, no survivors, then where do the stories come from, I wonder? So back to the governor's mansion, uh, Pintel and Rigetti make their way into the dining room and they look for Elizabeth. They see the open window and they think maybe she went through there, but then they see the messed up carpet in front of the pantry and Pintel says, we know you're here, pop it. And Elizabeth is currently hiding in the pantry and she has the Aztec medallion on her. Um, and Pintel says, you know, the gold calls to us. And then Elizabeth's looking at the medallion with the little kind of one streak of light in the room. And there's this awesome shot of the streak of light just slowly disappearing. And then the shot of Pintel's eye in the door crack saying, hello, Poppet. And they break open the doors and Elizabeth immediately demands parlay. So Elizabeth says, I invoke the right of parlay. According to the code set down by Morgan and Bartholomew, you must take me to your captain. And Pintel says, I know the code. And then Elizabeth says, if an adversary demands parlay, you can do them no harm until the parlay is complete. And I love how Rigetti is so against this idea um, when he's like to blazes with the code. And then Pintel's like, she wants to be taken to the captain and she'll go without a fuss. So Elizabeth does this um, so she can be taken, of course, onto the Black Pearl and hopefully negotiate terms for the for the pirates to leave Port Royal. Then we go back to the streets of Port Royal, which is still um, in a heated battle with these pirates and the townspeople. Will is still um, fighting off pirates. He's currently fighting off the pirate Grapple, um, who is played by Trevor Goddard, um, who also has a grapple as a weapon. So the pirate's name is Grapple, and he also has a grapple as a weapon. Pirate names, honestly, some of them I mean, this is mentioned in the third movie, but I'll bring it up real quick now. You know, pirates are pretty unimaginative when it comes to naming things, as Jack says. Um, but Grapple hooks Will by the neck with his grapple and says, say goodbye. And then a cannonball hits the sign of the building that they're under. And the sign, boom, it hits Grapple, throws him into the window of the building. And Will then replies, goodbye. And then he's running across the street, and then he sees Elizabeth being taken by Pintel and Rigetti. Um, and before he can make his way to her, he is then stopped by Jacoby, who is back from the dead. Will thought he killed him, but Jacoby was still alive. Um, and then there's a bomb right at Will's feet, but the fuse uh, burns out, and it doesn't explode. And Jacoby's kind of confused, but Will raises his hand to attack, and then pirates come up from behind him and then knock him right out as they're making off with their loot. And then Will is left on the ground, passed out, while Elizabeth is taken aboard the Black Pearl. A cannonball from the Black Pearl then hits right into the prison, um, which frees the cell of pirate prisoners next to Jack. Um, and before they all leave, one of the pirates says, My, th my sympathies, friend, it's no matter of luck at all. And they run out, and the camera pans up to the sky, um, and then we have a puff of smoke that makes a familiar shape, and it actually makes a hidden Mickey. Um, so there are a few hidden Mickeys in this movie. Um, hidden Mickeys are something that Disney does every so often in its movies, but not so much in the movies. They do it more so at the theme parks. If you've been to a theme park, you know the hidden Mickeys are in every attraction they're in restaurants they're all over the place so it's cool to see a hidden mickey in this movie um with the uh smoke clouds so jack of course he's still in jail and he resorts to what the other prisoners were doing which was trying to get the keys from the prison dog so he tries to get him over and then a gunshot from upstairs um scares off the dog and then we have two more pirates who enter the jail and one of them 
says, this ain't the armory. And then the other one says, well, 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 look who we have here, Twig. Captain Jack Sparrow. And they spit at, they spit at him. Um, and then we, of course, these are the pirates known as Kohler and Twig, um, who are another batch of pirates from Barbosa's rotten, cursed pirate crew. Um, and they give us some good plot um, information about what happened to Jack and Jack's relation to the Black Pearl. Um, they say, you know, last time I saw you, you were all alone on a godforsaken isle, shrinking into the distance. And then Twig says his fortunes hadn't proved much. And then Jack gets back at them with the craziest burn of the 18th century and says, worry about your own fortunes, gentlemen. The deepest circle of hell is reserved for betrayers and mutineers. And then Kohler's not having any of this, and he grabs Jack by the neck. And then, of course, Kohler's arm is now in the moonlight, and Jack sees the pirate curse for the first time. And he says, so there is a curse. That's interesting. And then Kohler says one more thing before they leave, and he says, you know nothing of hell. And they both leave Jack alone in his cell. Um, and he looks at the bone in his hand, and he says... That's very interesting. So then we move back to the Black Pearl, where Elizabeth is now boarding the ship um, with the rest of the pirates, and then we finally are introduced to Jeffrey Rush as Captain Hector Barbosa, who is one of the best characters of this franchise, one of the shining lights. Barbosa is amazing, and I think that he's like the perfect foil for Jack Sparrow. You know, they're both very different but the same at the same time and he's fantastic and Jeffrey Rush his portrayal of this character is fantastic you feel for Barbosa you really like him even though he is the villain of this movie you begin to really really love this character and it's because of Jeffrey Rush and I don't think anyone could have played this character better than Jeffrey um, and then of course we see a monkey hop onto Jeffrey's shoulder here, um, which is a nice little spin on, you know, what usually people think of when pirates have pets, they would have a parrot on their shoulder, but this switched it up and they have a monkey, um, which also was something that was in Cutthroat Island, which released in 1995. We talked about this a little bit on the last podcast episode, um, but there was actually a monkey pet in that film, um, who went by the name of uh, King Charles. So I don't know if they got the inspiration from Cutthroat Island or if it was just trying a happy coincidence with the film, but they have a monkey for the pet instead of a parrot. But we do have a parrot later on. So we still have our parrot um, quota filled. But Barbosa introduces himself to Elizabeth, and you know Elizabeth then says, you know, Captain Barbosa... I'm here to negotiate cessation of hostilities against Port Royal. And Barbosa says, there's a lot of long words in there, miss. We're not but humble pirates. And then, you know, he says, what is it that you want? And Elizabeth says, I want you to leave and never come back. And all the pirates start laughing. And then Barbosa then says, I'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request. Means no. So even he can clap back with the fancy language. Um... So Elizabeth's first um, tactic has failed on her. So then Elizabeth goes to her next tactic to intimidate the pirates, and she goes over to the side of the ship, and then she grabs the Aztec medallion from her neck and holds it over the side. Um, and then Barbosa and the pirates see it, and they're like, oh my god, there it is! But, of course, Barbosa's playing it cool. He doesn't let his emotions get the best of him here. Um, he, he says, you know, my holds are bursting with swag. Not a bit of shine matters to us. And then, you know, he says, why? And then Elizabeth's like, this is what you've been searching for. You know, I recognize this ship. I saw it eight years ago on the crossing from England. You know, and Barbosa's like, did you now? And then Elizabeth 
has this great moment where it's like, well, I guess if it is worthless and there's no point of me keeping it. And she almost drops it and she gets that reaction from the pirates that she was looking for, um, which is an awesome, cool moment for Elizabeth here. But then Barbosa walks up to Elizabeth and Elizabeth steps back. So even Elizabeth, who just in who just intimidated the pirates, is now being intimidated by the pirates. And then Barbosa says, you know, do you have a name, Missy? She says Elizabeth Turner. So she does not use her real name here. She uses Will's last name. Um, and this proves fatal for her. Well, not fatal, but this is a mistake on her end. She does not know the importance of the Turner name to these pirates. She was only using Will's name here because she thought they were taking her captive because she was the governor's daughter. So she didn't want to use the governor's name, being Swan. She didn't want to use that name to incriminate her as the governor's daughter. Because she thought if she used a different name, she would just give the medallion back and they would let her go. But with her using the name Turner, they keep her aboard the ship. And then we have our first mention of Bootstrap Bill Turner in this scene um, when the Turner name is mentioned. So, of course, Barbosa tells the pirates, you know, let's go, let's move, uh, pack it up. And Elizabeth's like, wait, you have to take me to shore. And then she mentions the code again. And then Barbosa claps back and is like, you know, we never settled on you being brought to shore. And secondly, you must be a pirate for the pirate's code to apply, and you're not. And thirdly, the code is more what you call guidelines and actual rules. And then he says, welcome aboard the Black Pearl, Miss Turner. And then we go right over to the next morning. Will wakes up. He's still on the street. Um, and he sees everyone um, reeling from the destruction that the Black Pearl brought last night. So he runs up to the fort where he sees uh, Narrington and Weatherby Swan. Murtaugh and Mulroy are also there. Um, and Will says, you know, they've taken Elizabeth. And Narrington's like, Mr. Murtaugh, remove this man. And then Will's like, we, we must hunt them down. We must save her. And Governor Swan, he's like, you know, how, how do we start? And then Murtaugh's like, Jack Sparrow, he talked about the Black Pearl. And then Mulroy's like, well, he mentioned it more what he did. And then Will's like, you know, make a deal with him. He can lead us to it. And then Narrington's like, no, the pirates who left Sparrow in his cell are not his allies. And then Will says, that's not good enough. And he slams the axe into the table. And then Narrington, you know, he's like, Mr. Turner, you're not a military man. You're not a sailor. You're a blacksmith. And this is not the time for rash actions. And then he whispers something to him. And he says, do not make the mistake of thinking you're the only man here who cares for Elizabeth. Um, and then we go right over to the jail. Will makes his way there and he sees Jack trying to... Um, open the cell from the other side with his uh, little lockpick that he made up. And then, you know, Will gets there, and he's like, you, Sparrow. And Jack's like, hey? And, like, you know, you're familiar with the ship, the Black Pearl? And he's like, I've heard of it. And then he's like, and then Will's like, you know, where where does it make birth? And then Jack tells him um, about, you know, Captain Barbosa and his crew of miscreants sail for the dreaded deal de Muerta, it's an island that can't be found except by those who already know where it is. So we have that cool little in, um, interesting bit of information there. Il de Muerta, which is, of course, the island where the gold is, cannot be found unless someone knows where that island is. So it makes it even more mysterious and makes Jack one of the only people that can help lead them there. Will makes a deal with Jack here. You know, he's like, if I break this cell out, will you help me? And then, you know, Jack's like, sure. You know, if you spring me from this cell, I swear on pain of death, I shall take you to the Black Pearl and your Bonnie Less. Do we have an accord? And they shake hands, and then Will breaks the cell open, and he mentions leverage in this uh, conversation here, which is a very um, interesting and important word in this franchise. Leverage comes up a lot of times here, and this is the first time 
uh, we get it, which is, you know, this first scene of Will and Jack talking, um, where he breaks the cell open because there's the half pin bower hinges. You know, he helped build that cell. So with the right application of strength and leverage, the door will lift free. Um, so leverage is a very important word. Make sure to keep that in mind. That'll come back very, very soon. And then right before Will breaks the cell door off, Jack asks, what's your name? And then, you know, he says, Will Turner. And then Jack nonchalantly says, that would be short for William, I imagine. Good, strong name. No doubt name for your father, right? And then Will's like, yes. And like, Will's like confused, like, how does he know my father? So Will is like already on edge, like, Jack is not telling me something here. Will breaks the cell door off and he throws it on the ground. It's super loud. And then Will's like, hurry, someone would have, someone might have heard that. And I'm like, you made the absolute most sound in the world. Like, of course, someone's going to hear that. But Jack grabs his stuff and they make their way out to the, the harbor of Port Royal. And Jack tells Will what their plan is. You know, we're going to steal a ship, right? That's what Will says. And, you know, Jack corrects him and says, commandeer. We're going to commandeer that ship, nautical term. So you think they're going for the Dauntless, um, but they're actually going for the Interceptor because, of course, the Interceptor can actually be crewed by only two people. The Dauntless is way too big a ship to crew uh, with just two people. So Jack asks Will one more question before they make their way to the ship, and he says, you know, um, this girl... How far are you willing to go to save her? And then Will says, I die for her. And then Jack's like, oh, good. No worries then. Um, and then we get this next shot of Jack and Will under the boat. And they walk the boat right into the water. And they have this weird air pocket with the boat. Um, which I don't think really would work in real life. But I'm also not too knowledgeable on how air pockets and those things work. It might, it might actually work. Who knows? Um, but Will's like, this is either madness or brilliance. And Jack's like, it's remarkable how, how many times those two traits coincide. So they make their way over to the Dauntless. They climb up the back and then they rush um, onto the deck and surprise the soldiers who are just uh, lounging about on there, including Gillette. And then Jack's like, everyone stay calm. We're taking over this ship. And then Will, um, who is in the pirate, like, he's being a pirate right now. He says, I, Avast. And they all start laughing. And Jack looks at him and like, really, bro? I, I love that moment there. Um, and then Gillette's like, you know, this ship cannot be crewed by two men. And then Jack, of course, points his pistol at Gillette and says, son, I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. Savvy? And then we go right over to the dock uh, with Norrington and... Um, Groves, who is also, I don't think we've seen him yet, so this is the first time we're seeing him here. Um, um, but he's played by Greg Ellis. Um, and they see Will and Jack trying to steal the Dauntless. And then Norrington, you know, they Norrington and his men, they sail the Interceptor out to the Dauntless and they make their way over there and they're searching for Will and Jack. And in this moment, while the Navy is searching the Dauntless for them, Will and Jack actually swoop right over to the Interceptor. They cut the lines connecting the ships together and then they start to sail the Interceptor away. Um, and Norrington tries to follow, but Will, uh, either Will or Jack disabled the rudder chain on the Dauntless. So the Dauntless can't move and follow them. Um, and then we have the iconic quote here where Groves says, that's got to be the best pirate I've ever seen. And then Narrington sorely replies, so it would seem. And now we are off with Jack and Will who have now taken the interceptor and are sailing into the open sea. And then we have this moment um, while Jack is sailing the interceptor where, you know, Will tells him a bit about his past. His mother raised him by herself, and then after she died, he came out here uh, looking for his father. And that kind of brings the topic up again, and Jack's like, is that so? And he's like all like awkward about it. And then Will's like, I'm not a simpleton, Jack. You knew my father. 
And Jack is like, I knew him. One of the only men who knew him was William Turner. Everyone else just called him Bootstrap or Bootstrap Bill. And then Will's like, Bootstrap? I'm like, why would they call him that? And then Jack says, good man, good pirate. And then Will is like, wait, what? And then Jack's like, I swear, you look just like him. And then Will's like, that's not true. He was a merchant sailor, a good, respectable man who obeyed the law. And Jack's like, he was a bloody scallywag, a pirate. And then Will is super mad about this. He's like, my father is not a pirate. And then Jack's like, put it away, son. You know, it's not worth you getting beat again. And then Je- and Will's like, you didn't beat me. You ignored the rules of engagement. In a fair fight, I'd kill you. And then Jack's like, well, that's not much intention for, you, for me to fight fair then, is it? And then we have one of my favorite scenes in this movie, which is the what a man can and can't do conversation. Um, so Jack um, throws the wheel in a direction and hits Will off the side of the ship, and he's hanging on to the mast. And Jack picks up his sword and says this. So as long as you're just hanging there, pay attention. The only rules that really matter are these. What a man can do and what a man can't do. For instance, you can accept that your father was a pirate and a good man, or you can't. But pirate is in your blood, boy, so have to square with that someday. Or, I could let you drown. But I can't run this ship into Tortuga all by me onesie, savvy. So, can you sail under the command of a pirate, or can you not? And then he gives Will back his sword, and then they sail to Tortuga. So this is the first time we see Tortuga in the films. We see it a few times. Um, but of course, Tortuga was, you know, the pirate destination. People are dunking people into wells, which is a Pirates of the Caribbean ride reference. Um, they're shooting each other. They're fighting each other. They're drinking as much as they can. And then Jack, once they, once Jack and Will arrive, Jack asks Will, like, what do you think? And then Will's like, yeah, it'll linger. And then Jack's like, I tell you, mate, if every place was like this, no man would ever feel unwanted. And then we walk right up to um, Scarlet, who hears Jack Sparrow's voice. So Scarlet, of course, is one of our recurring side characters we have in here, and she is one of the wenches on Tortuga. She walks over and slaps Jack on the face. And then Jack's like, I don't think I deserve that. And then another wench walks over, who is Giselle. And he says, Giselle. And then Giselle's like, who is she? And then she slaps Jack as well. He's like, I'm not sure I deserve that one either. Um, So we have that recurring joke of Jack being slapped um, established here. So Jack and Will make their way to the pig pen, which is where Joshmi Gibbs is sleeping. Of course, this is the return of Joshmi Gibbs, who we, of course, saw in the beginning of the film um, eight years ago. He was in the Navy. Now, he is not in the Navy, he is now a pirate, and he's sleeping with pigs. This also leads me into another connection with the theme park ride. In the ride, there is a pirate who sleeps with pigs, so this is a direct reference to that as well. So Jack throws a bucket of water on Gibbs and wakes him up, and then Gibbs you know, is happy to see Jack, and then he stands up and Will throws another bucket of water on him, and he's like, blast, I'm already awake! And then Will's like, that was for the smell. And then we go over to the tavern. Um, not sure if this is the tavern we see in Dead Man's Chest, which is the Faithful Bride. Um, but it could be. It's just hard to really tell because we don't see too much of it in this film. Um, so Gibbs and Jack are now talking. Will is keeping watch. And Gibbs asks, you know, what is Jack doing in Tortuga? And Jack says, I'm going after the Black Pearl. Gibbs is, you know, like, Jack, are you crazy? You're going after the Black Pearl? It's a fool's errand. And then, you know, Jack's like, well, it certainly helps that I'm not a fool then, eh? And then Gibbs is like, prove me wrong. What makes you think Barbosa will give up a ship to you? And then Jack says, let's just say it's a matter of leverage. And then Will hears this and looks over. And then Gibbs is confused. He's like, the kid? And then Jack's like, that is the child of Bootstrap Bill Turner. His only child which we have another mention of Bootstrap, and we're still confused on why Bootstrap is is being brought up, why the Turner name is so significant. We do not know yet. We'll find that out later. 
Um, but Gibbs, you know, he's like, I feel a change in the winds, says I. And then Gibbs goes out and finds a crew for Jack and Will to help sail the Interceptor to Il de Muerta. So we go from Tortuga over to the Black Pearl. Um, it, they are still sailing for Il de Muerta, and Barbosa and Elizabeth are now um, eating a meal in the captain's cabin. This is maybe my top three, top five scenes of this film. Um, I don't know. I, I don't mean, that might be another episode of, you know, top scenes from each movie, but this is one of my favorite scenes from this movie. Honestly, I could say that for everything. Everything is my favorite scene in this movie because I love him so much, but this is a really, really good scene, and Jeffrey Rush is acting his butt off in this scene. Um, so we have the ghost story, as I call it. This is Barbosa telling the story of the Aztec gold to Elizabeth. You know, he uh, holds up the medallion to Elizabeth, and he's like, you don't know what this is, do you? And then it, this is Aztec gold, one of 882 identical pieces they delivered in a stone chest to Cortez himself. Um, so, of course, we have the mention of Hernan Cortez, who is the person who had this gold. And, of course, Hernan Cortez was also a conquistador in the 1600s, 1500s. And he was not the best guy. Uh, Hernan Cortez, you know, he slaughtered a lot of innocent people. Uh, conquistadors are not the best people. But, of course, Cortez is not shown to be a good person in this film either. And then Barbosa continues, and he says, Blood money paid to stem the slaughter he wreaked upon them with his armies. But Cortez's greed was insatiable. So the heathen gods placed upon the gold a terrible curse, that even but a single mortal take a piece of that stone chest, and they shall be punished for eternity. And then Elizabeth hears all this, like, I don't really believe in ghost stories anymore, Captain Barbosa. And then Barbosa's like, aye, that's exactly what we thought when we were first told the tale. And then he continues, he says, Buried on an island that can't be found except by those who know where it is. And he says, find it, we did. There be the chest inside the gold. And we took them all. We spent them and traded them and fritted them away on drink and food and pleasurable company. But the more we traded them away, the more we came to realize the drink would not satisfy Food turned to ash in our mouths, and all the pleasurable company in the world cannot slake our lust. And then he gets close to Elizabeth and says, We are cursed men, Miss Turner. Compelled by greed we were, but now we are consumed by it. And Elizabeth, in this time, she grabs a knife from the table and hides it in her dress. Um... And then Barbosa says, one more thing. is that there is one way we can end our curse. All the scattered pieces of the gold must be restored and the blood repaid. And thanks to ye, we have the final piece. And then Elizabeth is, you know, and the blood to be repaid. And then Barbosa says, that's why there's no sense to be killing you. Yet. And then he offers her an apple and she knocks it out of his hand and then she grabs the knife and tries to stab him. And Barbosa has this great, great use of the iconic pirate R in this scene, which is so cool to you know to see someone actually say it. Obviously, it's a very stereotypical pirate thing, but to actually see someone say it in this movie, especially with Jeffrey Rush, he pulls it off great in this scene. But Elizabeth stabs Barbosa in the heart, and he doesn't die. He pulls it right out. And then Barbosa's like, I'm curious, after killing me, what is it you plan on doing next? And Elizabeth then, scared, runs out onto the deck, and then she's face-to-face -face with the skeleton pirates under moonlight. And we have this awesome scene of Elizabeth um, being freaked out by all these skeleton pirates um, and, you know, jumping around with the crew and trying to run away from them and all these awesome gags and the CGI I feel like in this movie has still not aged. It is almost a 20 year old movie and it still looks fantastic. I mean, not to really rip on CGI and visual effects studios. Um, but you know, you see movies from today and like the CGI just doesn't hit the way it used to in old movies. 
which is weird because you know you would think as we get further along in time cgi would get even better but honestly you know when you see a lot of movies today you're like oh i wish we had the cgi back like 15 years ago because pirates of the caribbean cgi is a, it's still top notch these movies are so old um well not so old but they're 20 years old which makes me feel old because they're the same age as me but elizabeth then sees jack the monkey um who i forgot to say is also called jack the monkey um who has the Astro McDowell, and he is also a skeleton. So even the monkey is cursed. And then she r- tries to run back into the captain's cabin, and Barbosa blocks her. And then we have a great speech by Barbosa here, which I will recite in full, as I've done with some other conversations in this film so far. But I love the little uh, speech here by Barbosa. Look, the moonlight shows us for what we really are. We are not among the living, and so we cannot die, but neither are we dead. For too long I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. Too long I've been starving to death and haven't died. I feel nothing, not the wind on my face nor the spray of the sea, nor the warmth of a woman's flesh. You best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one. And then he grabs the rum bottle, he pops it open and starts drinking it. Then you see the rum spill down his chest and it goes right through him as he's a skeleton which is also a theme park reference um to the skeleton cave uh, and elizabeth is freaked out beyond belief she runs into the captain's cabin barbosa smashes the bottle on the door and closes them and starts laughing with his crew and they all laugh and then he's like what are you looking at back to work um and then we have a quick shot of elizabeth uh, scared to death in the captain's cabin before we re- go right back to tortuga with jack and will um, because Gibbs has now found a crew to sail with them. So here we're introduced to the Motley crew, as um, they are called. So we have a lot of the recurring characters that we see in the later films are introduced here. Um, so we have Marty, who is played by Martin Kleba. We have Cotton, who is played by David Bailey, who has sadly passed away as of last year. Um, he was an awesome guy, and um, it's very sad that he has passed away, because even though Cotton doesn't speak in these films, I think Cotton is still such a cool character to have in the, um, in the crew, and it definitely sucks that David Bailey has passed away, unfortunately. Um, and then we also have some other randos, as I like to call them, because we don't see them pop up um, in the later films. And then we also have one more notable crew member here who is Anna Maria, who is played by Zoe Saldana. Um, Anna Maria, of course, did not return for the other Pirates films. She's only in this one, and that is kind of due to her experience um, on set with this film. She didn't have the best experience, um, and that's why she didn't want to come back. She was still really young when she was in this film, and she said in a very recent interview, actually, that, you know, she wasn't really prepared for the level and the size of the production like this and she also there was also some experience she had on set which aren't good and people shouldn't have um unfortunately um but jerry Bruckheimer, who produced these films um he was sad to hear that because jerry um likes everyone who works on his films to have a good time um have a good experience like you know just not just the cast but the crew and everyone he wants them all to have a really great experience to take away from the film and he was very sad to you know hear that she didn't have a great experience so he when they met up again years later he apologized to her um for her experience and uh zoe said you know that really meant a lot to me you know that he came and apologized so no ill feelings or anything, thankfully, between Zoe Saldana and Jerry Bruckheimer and the Pirates uh, cast and crew. Um, it was just that she didn't want to return, and unfortunately, that just means we're robbed of how amazing Anna Maria is in this film. Um, I would love to have seen her come back. Maybe she'll come back in a new movie, maybe, but I wouldn't count on it. So it would be awesome. It would have been awesome to see her in the other films, but. She is a great part of this film, and I just, I love Anna Maria. So, Zoe Sedona, if you're listening, I just want to know that you are great in this movie, and I, this is, like, one of my favorite 
characters of yours. So we also, um, we find out that Jack and Anna Maria have a lot of history together. Jack had stolen Anna Maria's boat and did not give it back. Um, he says borrowed, but he has not given it back. And we're led to believe that the boat that he stole was the one at the beginning of the film. But um, with the short film Wedlocked, I don't think it was actually Anna Maria's boat that he was on. So it might have been another boat from a, a previous encounter uh, before the movie. But so we have that establishment of the shared history between Jack and Anna Maria. Um, but, you know, Jack's like, but you'll get a better one. And then Will's like, yeah, that one. And then Jack's like, that one. And they point to the interceptor. And then Jack's all confused, like, I, that one, what say you? And all the crew is like, I, I. And then uh, Gibbs is like, no, no, it'd be frightful bad luck to have a woman aboard, sir. And then Jack says, it'd be far worse not to have her. And I forgot to mention that Jack is holding a banana throughout this entire scene, um, which is super hilarious. Um, it's so nonchalantly, like, he points it at things and, like, and then at the end of the scene here, he, like, holds it up and, like, looks to the sky um, and walks away. And Gibbs and Will are, like, all confused and they look up at the sky and there's nothing up there. I love... I, it's the little things that Johnny Depp did in the, in these films that just make you go nuts. That, like, they're the funniest things that are, like, these little, like, things that he makes Jack do and... You know, he looks at something, but there's nothing there, and everyone else looks at it like, what's what? What is he looking at? Like, it's all these like little like things that make Jack such a cool character. Um, I completely glossed over Cotton's actual character, unfortunately. So let me go back real quick. Um, of course, Cotton cannot speak. He had his tongue cut out, um, so he trained the parrot to talk for him. Um, so Cotton's parrot does say some things. Um, so we have our parrot quota filled. And we are introduced to our Motley crew. So we move on, and we are now traveling to Ile de Muerta. The Interceptor is now caught in a fierce storm, um, and Jack is steering the ship. And Will is Will and Gibbs are uh, on deck, and Will's like, how can we sail to an island that can't be found with a compass that doesn't work? And then Gibbs like, I, the compass doesn't point north, but we're not trying to find north, are we? which is a little hint there. It's, of course, not shown in this film, but later on we find out what the compass actually does. Because the compass does not point to Il de Muerta as people thought. It actually points to what you want most. And what Jack wants most is the Black Pearl, so his compass is, of course, leading him right to the Black Pearl. So this storm scene was not filmed in open water. Of course, a lot of the sh uh, scenes with the ships were filmed in um, open water, the Interceptor itself was an actual, real, um, tall ship that was rented out for production. It was the Lady Washington. Um, they sailed it all the way down to the Caribbean. There's a really cool video on YouTube that um, has the crew of the Lady Washington sailing the ship down to the Caribbean. It's a really, really cool watch. Um, but they repainted it. They changed it up to really be a nice, cool-looking Navy ship. Um, so it was an actual, real sailing ship. The Interceptor was a real ship. Um, the Black Pearl and the Dauntless were not real ships. They were just built on barges, um, half built on barges. So you had the deck and everything, but the sails and the mast, of course, were not fully constructed. Um, but the Lady Washington, uh, aka the Interceptor, was a real ship. Um, they did not film this storm in open water, as I said, because it would be way too dangerous for everyone um, to actually have these huge waves and everything. It would be disastrous. Um, so what they did is they made a small miniature of the Interceptor. I say miniature, but it wasn't a miniature. It was a smaller model. Um, might have been maybe like 20 feet high. I'm not too sure how tall it was. It's shown in some behind the scenes as well. Um, but they used this um, miniature model of the ship um, in a water tank they constructed um, and they had um, wave machines, they had rain machines, wind machines, and everything to really blast the ship and make it look like it was really sailing through a real storm. Um, and also, no one would end up getting hurt. Um, and of course, they composited that footage into the film, so it makes it look like the real ship is 
actually uh, suffering these conditions. So Gibbs, of course, goes up to Jack, who's still at the helm, uh, looking at the compass, and Gibbs is like, we should drop canvas, sir. And then Jack's like, we can hold a bit longer. And Gibbs is like, what's in your head that's got you in such a fine mood, sir? And Jack says, we're catching up. And with that, that'll be the end of this episode of Podcast of the Caribbean. I know, we're like getting right at the good parts and then stopping. Um, but we're already, we're getting close to an hour and I want to keep these episodes short so, you know, people can listen to them and not have, oh, what, like a six-hour podcast episode? Um, so, for, at least for this movie, I'm going to try, you know, separate parts. Um, maybe for Dead Man's Chest, we'll do a whole episode for just the one movie, but... I might warn you that could be a very, very, very long podcast. So maybe it's best for me to actually just split it up. Um, I think that would just be better because then I can actually pace myself and stop myself um, so we don't end up having like a six or seven hour long podcast that I know no one would listen to. So that'll be it for this episode. Next episode, we'll pick up right where we left off on Curse of the Black Pearl. Um, we are getting right to Yield de Muerta. So if you enjoyed this podcast episode, of course, please leave a review if you've enjoyed it. Um, that would help a lot to push the podcast up in the ratings and also help new listeners find the podcast, um, especially if they're Pirates of the Caribbean fans. So if you're a Pirates of the Caribbean fan, I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you're not a fan, I hope you're learning some things and also maybe becoming a Pirates of the Caribbean fan. So tell your friends, tell your family. Um, about this podcast if it interests you if you are enjoying it i thank you for listening um, but that'll be the end of this podcast episode so i'll see you next week podcast of the caribbean is in no way affiliated with disney if you want to send me an email or a question send it over to podcast of the caribbean at gmail.com you can also follow this podcast on twitter at podcast potc I'll be posting content and other fun stuff for you all to check out over there, so make sure you go give it a follow. But be sure to keep a weather eye on the horizon, and always remember, dead men tell no tales.